family and beyond. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your help and your strength. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, church is dismissed. That's K through 3. Uh, this past week, I had the awesome opportunity to uh, share with uh, four different uh, extracurricular uh, teams, the cheerleaders and the boys basketball, girls basketball, the wrestlers. And I went around to the groups of uh, students and I was able to uh, just talk to them about resetting for the year. Uh, and I through, I went, I did a little throwback testing their knowledge of computers and I'll see if you all know anything. Uh, if when you had to reset your computer, what were the three buttons you had to hit? Control Alt Delete, right? That's how you reset things. Well, it had me thinking: How do you reset things for your life, or how do you reset things on your team when things aren't going well, or how do you reset uh, just your schoolwork, you know, or maybe encourage them in a lot of different ways? And so I just said, you know, you got to think about what you can control, what you can alter, and what you need to, to delete. And I think in my life, it's been really important for me along the way of just learning and discovering how, how important it is to know what you can control and what you can't. And what it is about that that um, uh, is helpful is just knowing what to worry about, and what you can do something about. And then thinking about what you can change and, and do maybe a little better with or maybe take, uh, take some time to work on. And then finally, what do you need to delete? What do you need to forgive? And so... Um, I love what I get to do and thank you for, uh, for the opportunity to kind of do a little extracurricular thing on my own. And I get to do that under the umbrella of NG3 and that organization. I get to encourage students to be uh, men and women of character and it's a joy to be able to do that. And so while I can't preach Christ in the school, 
I can build a relationship with them, and uh, it's a huge thing. And thank you for your support and encouragement in that. And it had me thinking, Control-Alt-Delete. Uh, maybe that might be a good intro for us as we think about the new year and thinking about our life. One of my favorite scripture uh, verses is Colossians 3.1. Set your mind on things above, not, not on earthly things. Set your mind on Christ, fixing your hearts on Him and giving Him your heart and your devotion. It says when we fix our mind on Christ, when we set our mind on Him, that we will, uh, will, will be with Him in glory, that we will, when He appears, that we will also appear with Him. Uh, for me, it's been a long journey of trying to be, um, trying to be. You know, that's even kind of a funny thing to say. Being what we are called to be in Christ. I'm thinking that there's a long winding road of achievement and putting on all the righteous things that I could possibly do. And really, when really Paul seems to constantly advocate for us that we would fix our hearts and our minds on Christ. And that by doing that, that we would also look more and more like Christ in what we do and how we treat others and our love for God would grow. I would say that we are all collectively together, on a journey together, trying to encourage one another to set our minds and set our hearts on Christ. And every last one of us along the way have, had to, uh, have needed a little bit of a what can you control, what can you alter, and what do you need to delete moments in our journey of pursuing Christ and becoming more like Him and following in this journey together. And so what I would ask simply of all of us is just kind of setting and, uh, and adjusting our own sort of vision. Are we fixing our thoughts on Christ? Are we setting our minds on Him every day? And are we wanting to become more like Christ together? It's my hope that you would desire that, but I obviously can't make you. But if we could go on this journey together, I think we can encourage one another along the way. And for me, as I think about the book of Colossians, Colossians is a book written for encouragement. And Colossians uh, is written to a church in Colossae. Um, I even Googled. I was like, okay, I've heard it multiple ways. And then I listened to all of the audio Bibles on my YouVersion app because I was like, okay, I don't want to screw this up. You know, I'm the expert. And uh, it... The U version, all the Bible audio versions say Colossae. If you Google, how do you pronounce Colossae? The sweet ladies on YouTube say Colossae. I'm going to say, you know, pick, your, pick whatever you want to go with. You're probably right. Um, so it was written to a church in Colossae. And it was written to a group of Christians uh, that were already Christians. They already had the gospel in their heart. They already knew that Jesus Christ is Lord, and they've already declared that. What they are wrestling with and what they are battling with are pretty much the same things that we battle. And it's attention. And it's focus. But it's also all of the many varieties and alternatives of things that you can pursue and fix your minds and your hearts on. There were well-intended people who were saying you needed Jesus and. Jesus in addition to. There were well in, uh, not well-intended people who were threatening 
the very makeup of what Christianity meant. And leading them to question the truth of the gospel, leading them to question their allegiance and their devotion to Christ. So Paul, he he got word from his friend and fellow servant in Christ. His name is Epaphras. And he's one of my favorite people. And none of you will remember this, but my very first sermon I preached here was about Epaphras and being an Epaphras to people and an encourager and uh, sharing your faith with others. The only reason why I remember that sermon is because I was a travel preacher back in the day in, in college, and I probably preached that sermon 30 times. Um, hopefully not at the same church twice. I had to keep track of it, uh, and I'm not good at that. But anyways, uh, they probably didn't hear it the first time, so it's okay. But Epaphras was an encourager, and he went back to Paul, and he said, this is what they're facing. And so Paul, he pens a letter to encourage the church in Colossae to stay faithful, to not give up, to put their focus on Christ. And he's writing a letter of encouragement. And what his encouragement is, and, I, and this, is, this has to be abundantly clear from the text as it comes out and as we continue to study, as Paul's message is, there's no greater hope than Jesus Christ. There's no one greater to put your faith in than Jesus Christ. There is no one greater in all of creation than Jesus Christ. And so for all of these things that are competing in your life, don't ever forget for a moment that Jesus is above all of these things. That Jesus is above all of our doubts, above all of our frustrations, He is above all powers and principalities. He is above all things that He is greater. And it is this comfort, a comforting word, that in the greatness of Jesus Christ, that we can come to Him in our weakness, we can come to Him in our doubts, we can come to Him in our brokenness, in all of these different ways we can know that because Jesus is above all things, we can bring Him all things. And know that He cares deeply for every last one of us and remind us and encourage us not to give up on our faith, not to give up in our hope in Him, and not to give up on our love for others. And so when Paul pens his letter to them, he encourages them in their faith and their hope and in their love. He says, in fact, he commends them for it. And as we open uh, the book this morning, we'll begin at the beginning. Colossians 1. If you're wondering where it's at, I always remember the little letters. P-E, uh, so, or G-E-P-C, I, I do remember it. General Electric Personal Computer. Um, I have issues, I know. All right, Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. 
In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul is going to write some challenging words to them. Before he issues the challenge, he's going to bridge the gap and build a relationship with them. And he is simply saying to them, these are the things that I am thankful for when I think of you. And these are the things that I've been praying for you about. And so initially, as we look at what he is thanking them for, he thanks them for their faith. He thanks them for their love. He thanks them for where they put their hope. And he thanks that those who have shared the gospel and the good news with him. Thanking them for their faith, I think, is worth focusing in on. The faith is a word in our scriptures that when we think of it, I think, I think our default thinking on it is that this is right thinking. Thinking the right things about Jesus. To have faith we, we believe is to have the right belief or have the right thought about God. And what the Word really is trying to get at, and new studies are talking about it more and more, is, is more of a fuller picture of faith, is not only knowing the right thing about who God is, but it's also placing your trust in Him, and it's also giving your allegiance and your devotion. It's a word about our devotion and commitment. And so Paul is saying not merely thank you and good job and kudos for thinking the right thing about Jesus. He's saying to them, well done and kudos for believing that Jesus is Lord and Savior and confessing him as your Lord and King and living in light of that. Well done on your faith because you've committed your life to Christ and you are letting that evident or making that evident in every aspect of your life and your walk with God. Well done on placing your faith in Christ and putting your faith in Him and trusting Him as Lord and King of your life. And that to me makes a little more sense of why why Paul would be thanking them for their faith because they are facing so many different pressures, and he's saying to them, well done in your faithfulness, in this long and obedient direction of faithfulness and obedience to God. Keep up the good work. I'm proud of you. 
we are constantly battling the watering down of our faith in our culture, but maybe even in our own personal walk with God. I have loved, and it has resonated with me for a long time, from his book, The Great Omission, by Dallas Willard. He describes Christianity. The big problem in Christianity is uh, is the cost of non-discipleship. That it's all about making sure that you all think the right thing. And then forgetting that we actually have to talk about what it means to not only think Jesus as Lord, and confess him as Lord, but what it means for you to actually walk in light of the Lordship of Christ. When we say that Jesus is above all things, we're saying that he is above all things in our life. He's more important than our morning cup of Joe. Now, I'm a big fan of it. You know, the cups or the, you know, the posters and all these things, coffee and Jesus. No, no, no. You need Jesus in the morning, and the coffee is just a gift from God, right? We need Jesus first, Jesus only, Jesus above all things. But so often in our faith, it's Jesus and, or Jesus allows me to have this, or it's all of this sort of extra coupling of things. And what the call of faithfulness is, is that we would be fully and uh, fully devoted to him. Uh, Dallas, he argues that the great, uh, the great plight of Christianity is vampire Christianity. That there are a lot of people that love the blood of Jesus. They love the forgiveness of Christ. But they really, they only want the blood. They don't want the way of Christ. And he calls it vampire Christianity. When we only want his forgiveness and we don't want the ways of Jesus. Putting Jesus above all, giving him our full faith and devotion, is about walking with him, not only embracing the forgiveness of God, but also embracing the way of God. And it's mending those things together and saying, yeah, I'm not going to be perfect all along the way and praise God for his forgiveness and praise God for his forgiveness so that I can keep going on the way. That's what putting Jesus above all is about. is the meshing of Jesus, his blood, and his way and saying there is no greater way than the way of Christ. And I'm going to put him above all things in my life and my world. And so Paul, he commends them for their faith. Because despite all of these pressures to have Jesus and, he sees them and he hears from Epaphras, you guys are doing a good job in this. So stay faithful and keep going. And then he commends them for their love for one another. And when I hear of a church uh, who loves one another, you think of, or at least for me, I think of 1 John where we discover that we love because Christ first loved us. And if I hear a church like in Colossae is loving one another well, I think that they're worshiping God well. And they're appreciating all that Christ has done for them because they love God. They understand how to love one another and care for each other. The, our church family has been amazing uh, to, to so many. And for me personally, in the last year, I, I keep sharing. I had a conversation with a mentor a friend of mine this week, and I, I told him my story, and it's been a long time since we caught up, and I, I was bragging about you and your love for me. And uh, John made me feel like a million bucks, and he, and he said, well, it sounds like they've been getting good preaching. And I was like, you doggone it, you're right. 
but John was just encouraging me, and, and it meant so much, but, but it's really, truly, it's the work of the Spirit that's going on in our, in our congregation. And it's teaching us to love one another and, and fully appreciating Christ loving us and freeing us to be caring and compassionate and kind towards one another. I've been so proud of my church uh, family back home and just all that they've done to love and encourage different folks. And it seems like God's church is learning to love again. And I just want to take a pause on on all of the world news and all of the things going on and, and take a cue from Mr. Rogers and pay attention to who's doing good in the world. And I want to assure you that there are good things happening every day from Christians who love Christ. Pay attention to the goodness of God and what He's doing. And don't find discouragement in this world, in a world filled with all kinds of just terrible things. Terrible. There is good, and it is Christ working in His church and in faithful communities who have committed and loved Him. Do you see it? Paul commends them for their love for one another, and then he commends them for their hope. He says, you've put your hope in heaven. You've put your hope there, and you trust that God is going to make all things new, and God is going to make things right. I was really sad uh, this week. Um, when I was home helping my dad, there was, uh, there was a man, his name's Royce Thomas. And the best way to describe Royce, I think, and this might make sense to 90% of you, is to call him Steve Duff, only even nicer. And he was an, he's, uh, was an assistant basketball coach, and he helped all of the lower leagues, and he was a huge advocate for uh, women's athletics in Kalkaska, and he was just a giant of a, a pillar in our community. He was a great man. And when I was home, helping my dad. He came by the store a couple of different times and we chatted for a couple of hours. And he was checking on dad. He was checking on me. And all the while, he was having some problems himself. Uh, he, he, um, he, unfortunately, he died this week. And uh, he meant so much to me. And he was a huge encourager. And, and it's when we face that. And I know you've all, you have all faced people you love, who die unexpectedly, uh, who die totally expectedly after long battles. And here's it. Here, we make a lot of fuss about, about heaven as Christians. And the reason why we make a lot of fuss about the hope of heaven is because it is the greatest gift that we could ever be given. And, and it's a life with God. And it's a life where there's no longer the brokenness and the hurt and the suffering and the sickness and the sadness and all the tears and all those things are taken away. And we make a big deal about heaven because heaven is our only hope. And so I don't grieve as someone who is without hope because I know Royce loved the Lord. And whenever I went home, he was there at church and he would give me the biggest hug. And I'm going to be sad that I don't get that hug anymore, but I'm going to know for sure that he is with Christ because he loves the Lord. And Paul says, keep hanging on to that hope. And don't let people tell you that's nonsense. And don't let people say, well, you think about heaven too much. Well, say, well, you know what? It's better than thinking about all the other garbage. 
and let me hope for something that's better and let me hope for something that's good and wonderful and where God is and where my family is and where my loved ones are and let me fix my eyes on Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God in heaven right now and let me fix my heart and my focus on him because he's my only hope and this gift he's given me So hang on to your faith and hang on to your love and hang on to your hope and don't give up on these things. And he says, I want you to remember those who have shared the gospel with you. Because the people who have shared the faith, hope, and love of Jesus Christ, they are to be commended. But we also need to celebrate the fact that people are hearing it and believing it and understanding it and giving their lives to the gospel of Christ. And so the challenge is, is are we sharing that good news? Are we epiphras? I don't know how to say it plurally. Uh, epiphrasi, right? Are we the epiphras of our community? Are we the ones who are sharing the encouragement of faith, hope, and love in Jesus Christ? Will you share of the hope that you have? You don't have to know it all like me. You just have to know a little bit. And you can encourage people to know that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is our hope, and that he has done something for them. And you can do it. You can be an epiphras. You can be an encouragement. And Paul says, these are the things that I'm thankful for, and these are the things that I'm praying for you. And he says, he's praying for them that they would grow in their knowledge through the Spirit, that they would live lives worthy of God and pleasing to Him, that they would have the strength and patience and endurance. People always tell me, don't pray for patience. Well, Paul was praying for patience, and it got him in prison, and he was happy about it. So I'm going to keep praying for patience so that I learn how to suffer well and to trust in God in the midst of suffering and embrace the fact that I can face all things knowing that Christ is there with me. And that Christ is victorious over it because Christ is above all things. Paul can pray for patience because he can endure suffering for the sake of Christ. I don't know if anybody's going to hop in on that with me, but we can maybe pray that Christ would be at work in our lives in such a way that we would draw closer to him. And Paul, he advocates for them and he says, I am praying for you that you would grow in your knowledge and the wisdom through the Spirit. That you would be a people who are seeking the will of God and not just those who are trying to discern what is it that God wants me to do or where does God want me to work or how does God want me to be a neighbor to my neighbors. Discerning all of those things, but not just being satisfied with knowing what you ought to do, but having the power and the strength of Christ's Spirit to actually work in your life and to lead you and say, you know what, I actually have the strength to do this in Christ. A few weeks ago, I asked you to write down WWJDIH. I had to write it down myself. WMRHRN. You know, it just sort of rolled right off the lips. But what would I do if, what would Jesus do if he were me right here, right now? What would I do if, if Jesus if Jesus were me, what would I do? And there are so many times that Jesus has provided the answer to that, and the immediate thing is, I don't know that I can do that. 
Paul is praying for a people to discern what it is that Jesus would do if he were if uh, if he were them right there right now, and he is also praying for them to have the courage and strength in the Spirit of Christ to go out and do it and know that they can. And God would transform every church in the world if we would start getting serious about being the way of Jesus and trusting and knowing that we have the power of Christ's Spirit to go and do it. And I think people would turn and know and love Jesus Christ and fall under His Lordship if we would get serious about walking with God the way He's called us to. And I think that's what Paul's praying. He's praying not just to know about the way, but the courage to go and follow it. So I'd ask you, are you praying that prayer? And are you asking the questions, what would Jesus do if he were me right here, right now? You can go ahead and write it and put it on a bracelet, whatever you want to do with it. It's not trademarked at all. It'll catch on, I think. You could hashtag it, whatever. Friends, Do you want to follow Him? And are you seeking His will? This is Paul's prayer. His prayer is that they would grow and that they would live lives worthy and pleasing to God. That they would have strength to endure in their faith. And whatever whatever the challenges they're facing, whether it's in their work or in their home or in their uh, whatever happens in their daily lives, that they would have strength and power to endure. And He's And he leaves them with this promise and this hope and this encouragement. That they would all be qualified to inherit the kingdom of life. That they would all be qualified to to be a part of God's family and a part of his kingdom. And a part of what God is doing in the world. He says you are redeemed and you are loved and you are forgiven and you are a part of God's kingdom. He tells them what he's thankful for. Thank you for your faith, hope, and love. And then he's saying, and then he begins to pray for them. I've been praying for you all of this time. That you would grow in the Lord. That you know you could walk with him and have life in his kingdom. As Paul's encouragement to the church in Colossae, and I think it's the beginning of Paul's encouragement to us as we gather around. This simple letter, but important letter, that leads us to trust in Christ and knowing that He's above all things. So I've been thinking about this prayer, and we can admire that prayer that Paul offers, or we can adopt it. So this morning, I, to conclude my message, I would simply like to adopt his prayer and kind of make it our own. If you'd pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who has qualified us to be a part of your kingdom as your children. And so, God, we come to you, and we ask, Lord, for your help. Help us to understand your will. Help us to understand your desires for our life. Help us to know the good that's before us, Help us to know the evil within us. Help us to understand what you're calling us to. And Lord, give us the help and the strength and the endurance to remain faithful 
And give us the power to know that we can and the fortitude to go forward with you. Lord, lead us to seek your kingdom and all we do and strengthen us to continue in the loving and trusting and caring of others. Lord, thank you for your life and your kingdom. And Lord, thank you for your forgiveness and the rescue that we may have, that we may have a place and purpose in your kingdom. Lord, we pray for your help, that you would go with us and lead us as your children. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Where is God leading you? To come and follow Him? To turn from your past and towards life and God? Where is God calling you? Is He calling you to join a faith community? Or is God challenging you towards next steps of using your gifts for the kingdom? Where is God leading you? That's the prayer. And it's up to you to respond and listen to what God would say to you. I want to conclude uh, each of the above all messages with a passage of Scripture that reminds us of in other places about the nature of Christ and who He is. I'm going to have you stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. And this is a reminder for us and encouragement from 1 Peter 2. As you come to Him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built in a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, this stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy through Jesus Christ. He is our cornerstone. We continue in our worship.